me, I suggest that you get paper and pencil ready now. And as you listen, and as you listen carefully, write down. Write down. These important, these important instructions. And if there's any other real issue that one might come up with as a means to saying that God isn't reconciled to them or God isn't pursuing them or God isn't talking to them or God has turned his back on them, the thing about it is, is that it is finished. There is no reason now that we can't have full access to God in any unimaginative way possible because our imagination fails in comparison to the pursuit that God has for the reconciled creation that was brought forth of by the death of Jesus Christ. We need to bring peace to the darkness. Reap seeds that spring seasons of love in the heartless. Sympathy, Father, the Father, the safer system on top of this. Have faith to weep our prominence, my freedom for the optimist. When we start working from the position of the Spirit, when we start working with God, we no longer boast about the things that we do, but we humbly point people back to the person that works through us to do all these good things. Take the light through the dark. That's what we do. We overcome evil with good. And so creation is waiting for such a time as this. Creation is waiting for sons and daughters of God to rise up and manifest the kingdom on earth. God, thank you so much uh, for this technology. Um, God, this is strange times, and the longer we're in it, the more it seems that we can become aware of that, God. I, I know that myself and many leaders are tired, um, and let alone parents or uh, students or everybody that's on this call. God, we all, like you see everything uh, right now, and uh, right now we're really wanting to lean into what you want us to see. God, you see us in a different light than we often see and talk about ourselves. And God, make us more aware. Help us to be more aware of the way that you see us because uh, we want to lean on your understanding and not on ours. So we just invite you, Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So um, I was, I've been sitting on a lot of this stuff for the last couple of weeks, uh, going back to about what we see. So I, th- uh, I was writing down some notes. We all have this idea of ourself. Uh, more so, we all have this idea of what ourself should be. So, um, knowing that we are not God, but that we're creating God's image, we live in this tension that there's this expectation of me to be holy as He is holy, but then I see my unholiness and I can get discouraged. Um, Matthew McConaughey, in an acceptance speech of an award, uh, four, five years, six years ago, um, he, I don't know if you saw this, somebody posted this recently. I don't know if you're on this call or not, but, um, he was asked when he was a younger man, you know, who is your hero? And he thought about it and he says, um, it's, it's me and 10 years and 10 years later, the same person who asked Matthew who his hero was 10 years later says, so are you your hero? He says, no, my hero is in 10 years, like is me in 10 years. And he basically, he's just outlining this idea um, that we, we live in this tension of wanting to live up to this person that I'll be in 10 years. Um, and so that can be daunting for us as children of God to know that like we have this incredible father, but yet I, many of us probably on this call have struggled with disappointing him along the way. And, um, so when we look at God, we have this idea of who God is, but then we also have this idea of 
who he should be to us. And that comes down to how we trust in him, um, how we pray, leaning into what I mentioned earlier, like focusing on how God sees us versus how we see ourselves. And that comes back to kind of summing up uh, two weeks ago, um, the story that we tell ourselves, our self-talk, we, we're, we're, we're aware of these thoughts, like our brain is picking up on these thoughts, and then we engage with how we respond. Um, now for me, I'm a self-starter. Uh, I'm a self-starter who's op, like an optimist, spam risk, get out of here. I am a self-starting optimist stuck in what seems like an endless loop of days. Can I get an amen if you are feeling that you are stuck in Groundhog's Day over and over and over again? Anybody there with me? Yes. Okay. So for me, I started out uh, super optimistic, um, wanted to like, I was one of those people like, I'm going to take this time to better myself. I'm going to start a Wednesday night equipping group that people ask me to do, and we're going to do it every week. And I'm going to launch my website and I'm going to get in shape. And I mean, Dakota and I have done almost 3000 burpees. Caitlin's on here too. We almost done 3000 burpees in, in, in 30 days, but, um, you know, that's coming to an end here in like three or four days. Um, and so, uh, but it's easier for me, the longer I go to become more selfish to, I, I ordered a new mask to kind of that would allow me the ease to wear it more. So it'd be a mask that sits around my neck and I can like pull it up over my face because I've had to accept the fact that even though I don't like wearing a mask and it's uncomfortable, like I can't think about myself. I need to lay my life down for other people. Um, and I've had multiple uncomfortable conversations. You know me, I'm an Enneagram nine. I don't like uncomfortable situations unless I'm really confident. And then I lean on my eight and I will go tooth, tooth and nail for whatever it is I stand on. But um, had multiple conversations with people who are, are very torn over this idea of what we should be doing. Should businesses be open? Is the governor overstepping? Like what is going on? We don't know really what's real. And we start, I think, looking at all the wrong things. And um, that's just kind of where I'm at. Um, and it, it is, it is hard to lead in this season. And I know coming out of it, am I able to see myself the way that God sees me years from now? Cause he looks at the finished product and he works back to where we are in the present. Like, am I able to see myself now versus where I want to be? But for me, I feel like in front of me are these mountains of unknowns. And I don't know if you're there too. So like, just ministry wise and being fully transparent. I, one day I feel called to, to return to be a lead pastor someday or, or a teaching pastor or campus pastor at some point, or maybe not at all. And just ride this out until something changes, but it's hard for me to go through all of that and to kind of plan or be uh, sensitive to what God wants to do through me and around me in the people's lives that I come into contact with and have influence uh, with when we're in the season of, I don't know how long we're going to be in this. We're restricted on how we can meet and influence people. Um, there's, there's just so much that is unknown that it's hard to really see the person that we're trying to become in the future without getting burned out, which is who, I mean, if you're multiple, many of you were like, Hey, I'm in that groundhog day period as well. You know, if you're getting burned out, like you're not alone. 
I feel like I've just keep doing webinars with all these leaders from across the country who are saying all the same thing and we get it. Like one of the biggest challenges that is facing uh, the executive team at Vail specifically is reopening. And like you guys can ask me questions on that. I won't have any answers because we just don't know. Um, we're just in, un in unknown times and that can affect and negatively affect our walk with God because we start looking at the wrong things. Um, I just think back to the, I mean, the Israelites, you know, 40 days in the desert and they just, they just lost sight of who God was for them that they eventually chose to have 10 commandments and to work out a system of exchange. And I don't know if any of you have gone back and read that in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. Basically, it gets to a fever pitch with God and the Israelites. They're just complaining. And God's like, okay, here, let's do this. Go tell the people about it and then come back to me. Well, Moses goes and talks to the people and the people are like, we're not going to talk to God. You talk to God for us. We'll do the Ten Commandments. And that's when the law was instituted. And then the law has kind of plagued us even till now, because when we read the New Testament, we still have to sift through all of the stuff that Paul wrote primarily to the Jews about what it means to be under law or under grace. And so this thing that happened thousands of years ago still plagues us today that what are we looking at? The law, it says uh, by the Apostle Paul that like, uh, where the law is, sin abounds. But we also see in Romans chapter 8 that God coming in imperfect form lived perfectly and in thus condemned sin in the flesh as something that he wasn't going to war against because the Holy Spirit was going to come. It was better that Jesus left so the Holy Spirit could come because in those last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. The, the young men will dream, uh, the old men will dream dreams, the young men will prophesy. Um, I, and other parts of the Old Testament says, I will write my law on their hearts. And so we're battling against some of these things that God says, but then we, we see who we're, who we're not. Um, and the further, the further frustrate our issues is the weather sucks right now in Illinois. Um, family time feels different for us. It feels restricted. Some of you aren't really seeing family. Um, for me, ministry is not the same. Um, I've really tried to, to own what this is. And I, I appreciate being here with you guys. I appreciate you coming out and um, wanting to learn, wanting to grow because it holds me accountable. Um, so sometimes I like it and sometimes I don't. Um, and so for me, it's harder to see the person that I'm becoming or the person that God sees that I'm becoming from this spot of lack. Uh, I'm often alone in my thoughts, but my perspective of my aloneness can be shifted towards solitude, that in my aloneness, I'm not actually alone. I'm actually uh, in solitude with God. Um, and these internal alarms, the frustrations, the anxiety, uh, the, the fear, uh, the unknown, because that's what fear is. Fear is primarily, you, just, you're, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. Um, these alarms and prompts should be leveraged for prayer, for worship, and for service. 
because it's harder to see God from this spot of I ought to be doing this or I should be doing that or this ought to be happening over here or the governor should be doing this. And when I get caught in these ought to's and these shoulds, it's harder for me to see what God is doing. Now, the question then for, for me that I, I'm, I've been rolling with today is what does it look like for me to really see or perceive with a heavenly perspective? So this week, if you watch the veil message, like we're talking about what is hell, uh, we have what is heaven coming up next. And so what does it mean to, to really see or perceive with a heavenly perspective? So see, there's a solid chance that all of us are warring against a dichotomous mindset that theologians and philosophers call subject versus object. Now, this is where it's going to get kind of heady, but I think that in the overarching, all, God, all truth is God's truth. Uh, and what I mean by that is something may be true, but it may not be the truth. Uh, for example, a prime example that I use for people is the Ten Commandments were true, but they were not the truth. If they were the truth, then Jesus was unnecessary because the God would have never found fault with the law. Um, it would have brought about transformation of the heart, but it didn't. It would have brought about our salvation, but it didn't. So the Ten Commandments were true, but it wasn't the truth. Okay, and so in the subject versus object um, is just kind of philosophy speak uh, for what it is that we're engaging with. And so I'm going to explain it to the best of my ability, and I'm going to recommend some podcasts for you to check out if you want to grow in it a little bit more. So um, in our life, we think we know what we're seeing and what we're wanting, but in reality, we're probably looking at it with the wrong eyes. So that I, I think when I say that, certain things are coming to mind for you. When you are wanting something or seeing something, do you really want it or do you really see it? Uh, there's, this, there's this sense that um, we actually uh, we live in the tension of what we don't have, the disappointment of not having what we have, and then the melancholy of when we get what we want, and then because we've achieved, like we've gotten it, we're no longer interested in it. And so that I don't know what that thing is for you. Uh, it, it could be a new car. It could be a new job. Um, it could be a relationship. It could be a degree. You know, it could be a house. There's these things that we look at that we think that we want because we've identified something else. And these are all objects. These are things that we can observe, that can touch, feel, taste, see. Um, and so these things incite us to action. And ultimately, we might come to achieve or grasp these things, behold these things. And we think that our life is going to be figured out. I think that we do this with God's love. We treat God as an object or love as an object that if I achieve it, if I behold it, if I grasp it, then my life will be okay. And for many of you, you're like, I know I want God's love. I'm going after God's love. I just don't feel God's love. Like I don't always sense it all the time. Like it comes and goes. And this, and this, is, this is what I think we're, we're wanting to get at is, and what we need a greater awareness of the Holy Spirit is to give us the eyes of Jesus. And so we can't treat God 
or love like objects that can be observed, felt, needed, I mean, tasted, seen, or heard. Like, if you think about it, I mean, I'm just going to jump into my notes here. So, we talked last time about what consumes our eyes is what we bow down to. The plan for us is in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Set our eyes on Jesus and the reality of our subjective oneness in him. For many of us, we get confused about what it means to see God. And I don't mean see God as an object that can be observed, measured, weighed, touched, tasted, and even what we've talked about, heard his voice or heard from him. It is something when we are talking about an object that means it needs to be observed. And if you are an observer of an object, that means you are separate from it. And what I've been trying to convey, because this is what God is laying on my heart, is that we are not, like when we're in Jesus, we are now aware of our salvation, which is the oneness that we have with God. We are uh, we're co crucified with Jesus through baptism, co-buried, co-resurrected. We participate in the inheritance, so we're co-heirs. We're more than conquerors, so we're co-conquerors, okay? Um, We are children. Like, there are so many things that, there's so much language in the Bible that talks about our oneness that we don't have a separateness. And if we, we, but if we talk about God objectively, then that means we're separating ourselves from him so that we can observe him in some way, shape, or form. And this is the pitfall for atheism versus theism. Because for many people, theism is talking about God, what we can observe, interact with, et cetera. Um, and also, I would say, like, I would call this observing his hand. Uh, it, it says in one place in the Old Testament that, like, the Israelites sought God's hand, but Moses sought God's face. Okay, so he sought to be in the presence of God where the Israelites only sought what God could do for them. Um, So atheism denies God as a real observable object because they say that there is no verifiable evidence for his existence. And um, one one theologian would say that atheists are actually closer to the divine because God is not an object to be observed. So for many people who are Christians, they interact with God objectively and they wonder why he feels distant and why they don't fully understand and why they can't engage with them. And atheists are trying to say, well, no, God isn't an object. He can't be observed. He's not there. And so in like, they're already a step closer than many of us because they've gotten past like this separatedness from God. So in quantum physics, the very observation of an object actually alters its behavior. So Simply, God is not an object, but a subject. What if most of our interaction with God has been us viewing him as an object, Father? See, his, uh, it's simply put, I mean, there's so many different ways to explain subject versus object, but I just took it from Wikipedia. A subject is an observer and an object is a thing that's observed. For modern philosophers, consciousness is a state of cognition that includes the subject, which can never be doubted as only it can be the one who doubts. So only the subject can doubt, not the object. And some objects that may be considered as not having real or full existence or value independent of the subject who observes it. So God is beyond object and subject. He is before those things. God even is noble. Even God, even in his noble ways are still a mystery to us. Okay. So, I'm, I'm trying to really make God so big for you 
that his love will surpass your understanding. Like if you will stop trying to understand God and then lean into the mystery that is God, that God could really start to move in you in a way that's way more sustainable than if you're trying to, to observe God working in your life here, there, or anywhere else. See, God then is not the light or revelation we need to see or observe so much as reveling in the mystery of God that he is the light by which we see all things. And C.S. Lewis has a quote about that too. That, um, so for example, we don't see light. We see the effects or different things that we call light, but it's actually the things that we need to see that light reveals for us. So Peter Rollins puts it this way, to treat this idea of the divine as an object, as something you see, is to miss the point. It is in a sense, it is the reality that allows us to see the world in a different way. God doesn't exist just as much as love doesn't exist in the way that we can observe it, put it in a pot, measure it, taste it, see it, feel it. Love calls things into existence. When we walk around, we see other people, they're just objects. We don't interact with them. We don't talk to them. It's different though when we love someone, something else comes out of them that we then see or perceive. We see them in their subjectivity. You see them as an individual. Love calls us into existence. And if you look back at the creation narrative, it says in Genesis chapter one, it was out of the formless void, God spoke things into existence. It is in the call in our beings, we recognize the presence of God in our lives. And so um, it says in Ephesians chapter one, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. I think this this is this is what I think God is really wanting us to understand is that we don't have to like God doesn't have to show himself to us for us to see him so much as we just he's already speaking to us, he's already called to us from the foundation of the world that those promptings, those things that are happening inside you are a free flowing nature of his spirit that is calling out to you and that he's doing this with every single person and he's going to do it in a way that like most people will say yes to him. See, God is not some objective thing we need to prove to bolster our faith so much as by the mere awareness of his subjectivity, we can rest in our oneness with him It was Jesus who came to show us what was true all along. In the beginning, God created heavens and earth. Out of the formless void, he spoke things into existence. Like when we love somebody, like we're not loving the things 
I, got, I, I talked about, I don't know if I talked about this here before, but when I, when I counsel premarital people, engaged people, I ask them like, hey, what do you love about your significant other? And it's a trick question. And Brian and Debbie, I kind of almost want to put you guys on the spot here, but uh, I won't. But when I ask young couples, what do you love about your significant other? Every time, every time, it's, I love how she makes me feel. I love how he makes me laugh. I love when he does this. I love when she does this. I just love what, who I am around them. And I say, that's not love, that's selfishness. Because you're only relying on what the person can do for you. Now, I would imagine that because when I talk to couples who've been married for any given amount of time, 5, 10, 15, especially 40, 50 years, when I ask, what do you love about your spouse? It has nothing about what their spouse does for them. It has everything to do with what they have seen in their spouse that they'd be willing to die for and protect and to cultivate and encourage. And so when two people are together in love, they will simultaneously create a space that uh, is a culture for both people to thrive in who God sees them and they're becoming in him. And so I would imagine then that like, if you, if you, if you look at love that way, love doesn't look for reciprocity. Love looks for what they can do for other people. Now there is healthy forms of this and unhealthy forms of this. Okay. So you could be in a codependent relationship and call it love. But that's not what really love is. And that's a whole other conversation. So, but when it comes to God and God's love, like uh, Peter, uh, another theologian says this, he says, God doesn't exist. He insists. And I can give you the resources on those podcasts, but like we don't have to prove God's existence because God is regularly insisting in us who he is in us, through us, for the people around us. And if you're having a hard time really uh, grasping onto the nature of God in your life, just start serving other people. Find somebody to love. Seriously, if, you have a hard, if you're having a hard time identifying God's love in your life, go love somebody else. Because then in the mirror reflection of what you're doing for that person by laying your life down for them, you, you'll, like, you'll start to sense God will insist his love in your awareness. Uh, the philosopher Descartes put it this way, but if the mere fact that I can produce from my thought the idea of something entails that everything which I clearly and distinctly perceive to belong to the thing really does belong to it, is not this a possible basis for another argument to prove the existence of God? Certainly the idea of God or a supremely perfect being is one that I find within me just as surely as the idea of any shape or number. And my understanding that it belongs to his nature, that he always exists is no less clear and distinct than is the case when I prove of any shape or number that some property belongs to its nature. Meaning that just by the fact that I can think about there being a supremely perfect father like God is enough for his existence in your life. Like there is nothing more that God needs to do other than that thought that that's a reality. And for some of you, you're, you're just, you're one, you're one thought away from like complete breakthrough 
in a lot of the areas that you're struggling with because the fact that you can even think about something apart, like you, you, you can think about this thing that isn't a part of God's nature is enough to show you that God's like, I'm already working on that thing in you. And some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to say, man, like, remember if you, like, I, I love this. I was listening to uh, these two guys talk and um, it, it's just classic, classic uh, reverse psychology. If you, like for me, if I want my son to do something, I'll tell him not to do it because it's hilarious for him to defy his father, right? And especially, especially if he's like, I don't, I don't want this, I don't want this candy bar. Oh, you wouldn't say that. Sorry, that's ridiculous. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to clean up. Okay, fine. Don't clean up. Um, like, don't, don't do it. Seriously. Like, I didn't want you to clean up in the first place. I mean, honestly, like, don't do it. Like, because you know you might get another toy or something. I don't know. Like, oh, 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 I, oh, I probably should clean up now because you told me not to do it. Like, if you if the more you try to forbid something in your life, this is going to be the counterintuitive part of grace. So bear with me here for a second, right? So if you try to forbid yourself, the more you try to negative associate something in your life with that, thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not, your, like, your response, because the flesh wars against the spirit, is going to be, why not? The more you want, if you, like, really, talk openly about whatever it is you don't want in your life. Because again, like you, have to, you don't have to identify with it. Just acknowledge its place in your life. Let go of a perceived separation of God in heaven and us here on earth. Let me say that again. Let go of any perceived separation of God in heaven and us here on earth. When it comes to sin and law on one level, it seems easier to operate in this mindset, right? Uh, I do something, I deserve punishment. Thou shalt not do this, thou shalt do this. However, if you're anything like me, Anytime I try to stay in this, man, I really shouldn't be doing this. I really, I really ought to be doing this. I really shouldn't be doing this. I really ought to be doing that. It gets tiring. Even in the good stuff. Like when I think about as somebody who pastors, like it gets tiring to do those things. And we need to rest. And if we don't latch onto the right vision, we will bow down to a lesser and warped reality. So the more that I try to objectivize God, objectify his love, the less I'm going to participate in the subjective nature of God's love present in my life. Because again, just the mere thought of God's love is an indication that his love is already abundant in and around me. So what we're seeing then in the spirit is more perceiving a realization that God is calling to us in our hearts. God wants to be known as Father. And that's probably the biggest invitation that I want to extend to you, that what do you talk about when you talk about God? And then when you talk to God, what do you call him? And like for me, this is a personal challenge. I want to, I want to talk more about Father, Heavenly Father, in that way. Because that to me, reveals the subjective nature of our relationship as son and father than it does when I think of him or talk about him as God. And I think 
in just like it's a there's multiple spots in the new testament where it talks about like abba father when we talk you know when we, when we refer to god and you don't have to call him daddy you don't have to get weird you don't have to call him papa some people do and like uh, i'm i'm not gonna go there but like for me i just call him father and i or or sometimes i do call him dad um and for some of you like there's this perceived separ- separation between you and God, holy and not holy, because you still see God as God, as opposed to recognizing that, like, like my sons only see me as dad. Like, it's weird for them. Like, the first time uh, that my children realized that I had a name that was Nolan, they're like, wait a second, like, who's Nolan? Who's that? Like, or Emma, like who's Emma? And then when they realize, oh, you're, you're Nolan. No, you're my daddy. You're not Nolan. Like, I'm going to call you daddy. That's right. You will call me daddy. Like he is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. Like this is who he should know me as. And as he gets older and he goes more aware, he'll be able to start seeing like all the other different roles that I play in life as a husband, as a, as a, um, a pastor, as a writer, you know, like they'll start to understand those things. But I think uh, much in the same way that Adam and Eve, when they fell because of eating of the wrong tree of knowledge, that they came into a perception of things that in a sense caused them to fall. And they, they saw their I am not Godness and they defied God. Like they both fell into this sin and trespass simultaneously. Now, my children will grow in, uh, and Sarah, you're, you're aware of this in, in child development, um, and Katie too, and in that like children, they have this proximity thing when they're really young and you have to nurture these relationships at certain ages because as they get to older ages, like, um, Carter, you're at a different stage than Peyton because like Peyton, like you, you've already gone through like that separation phase. Carter, you recognize that you're your own person, uh, but like Peyton's stepping into a new area uh, of, of life in, in your development. Um, but like children, they go through this development stages of I am basically one with mom. Uh, I'm recognizing I have my own features and then uh, my three-year-old's in this stage right now. I want to do it by myself. And we know that my three-year-old can't do it all by himself. Um, but like he'll learn then. And we like, it's frustrating for us as parents because we have to wait for him to fail on his own. So that way we respect his boundaries for them to ask us for help. And when you're running late as a parent, and your child insists on wanting to buckle themselves into the car seat and they can't get it because they tangled it and they don't know how to untangle the thing. Like it's hard not to in those moments going, no, I will do it. And then now you have a screaming toddler. And some of us are like that in our spirituality. Like we're like, God, no, I'm going to do this, God. I got this. And God's like, no, you don't. But okay, I'm going to let you do it because that's how I parent. until. You know, we, we recognize this, this place of our, I can't do it. And then we allow God to start moving through us in a brand new way. 
And so we need to become the human our heavenly father created us to be. Are we going to shift our focus of what we're seeing? So we live in the tension of now and not yet. We're so keen of what has been and what has come to pass, and we're easily distracted by what is not yet, that we're not present in the Father's presence. And so I'm going to say this again. We live in the tension of now and not yet. We're so keen of what has been and are easily distracted by what is not yet. We're not present in the Father's presence. And I think this is real seeing is if anything, the sooner you can see your oneness with God, perceive your oneness with God and stop. And I think this is just a subconscious, unconscious thing, unconsciously interacting with God and love as objects, as opposed to subjective transcendental things that are working themselves out through you. Because if God is love and God created you in his image, that God is in you and you are in God, that there is no separation now because of Jesus, that this is real seeing. And this is the incarnation of Jesus that got put on imperfect flesh to condemn sin, condemn sin in the flesh. So um, that's, that's, that's it. That's, that's part two of what, what are you looking at? Um, and, and so I hope that's helpful. If you, if you want more of the dialogue that um because I, I from a couple different podcasts um i will send those to you um they're with the guy peter rollins he just does a really good job of talking about love um both for us uh with god us politically um and then love um for personally so god political and us personal great podcast three episodes so Our lives are his location, also we can see heaven's gate. 